Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. I was pressured into an arrangement that was not fair. In two years, my net worth decreased a lot (laughs) from almost a quarter million dollars to 35,000. In the last four years, I've made it all back. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. In the last couple episodes, we discussed how our natural inclination is to orient toward happiness and why this is, ultimately, a problematic cultural agreement that almost all of us contribute to. Today, I suggest a new and more beneficial social contract, albeit a more challenging one, a cultural agreement to orient toward realness. This requires a certain level of awareness, which in itself requires a significant level of mutual accountability. But the end reward is a genuine, real happiness, a fulfillment, if you will, that can't be altered by the ephemeral content of experience. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that, with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd really love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open up the podcast app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. So I wanted to sum up a few things. Guys, we've talked about so many things. Um, I, I love doing these. Thank you so much. This is so fun for me. It's so magical that you guys show up on Tuesdays and we get to talk about such interesting things and in heartfelt and immediate ways. So we're all delusional. We're all delusional. It's not a matter of whether or not you and I are deluded. We are. It's just a matter of where, in what way, how much, and for how long. So if you orient toward realness instead of happiness, then realness is how quickly can I become undiluted? What Today, on Tuesday, May 15th, what delusion can I shatter in myself and in others? Even if you just shattered one delusion per week, and maybe shatters, how about melted? You melt them away, like taking a bath. Or question. Question, yeah, sure. Just question it. Yeah, just questioning them, like, that's why the, the power of the Byron Katie four questions, you know, the, the, the first two is, is that really true? Is that really true? And that's the simple, innocent question that a child could ask that could unravel, you know, only your entire life. But as one of my teachers taught me with both the carrot and the stick, you can never lose what's real. If you just trust that if you lose something, a divorce, for example, you know, uh, a long-term relationship, money, you can never lose what's real. You know, when I was divorced uh, a little over four years ago, 
I was pressured into an arrangement that was not fair. In two years, I went from my net worth decreased a lot <laughs> from almost a quarter million dollars to 35,000 after that divorce. In the last four years, I've made it all back. To me, that is how life works with money because the money's not the green ink on the white paper. It wasn't real for me to lose all that in one way. In one another way, I certainly learned some good lessons for it. But in terms of the value that I produce in society and stuff, life said, oh, here's that money back because you never really lost it. But now, like, look at like Enron, for example. There's, you know, other companies like that or um, places on Wall Street where the, you know, they're making money with sleight of hand. When you manufacture value, when you lose that money, and that money was never real in the first place, that money won't come back, you see, because it was never real. Enron goes out of business because they were making money rather than earning it. So this is, I, I, of course, you, you don't get to know this in advance. But it's just, if you trust the process, trust the outcome. If you trust the process, trust the outcome. Trust life will take care of you. Not like a baby's taken care of, but like if you risk the real and you give up the pursuit of happiness, trust that the real will produce a kind of happiness like Jamie was talking about that is no longer dependent on your moment-to-moment content stimulation factor. That's not really nourishing anyway, is it? You know, Because when you pursue happiness, when happiness is your goal, then you look at, unconsciously, you look at every moment through the lens of, is this good? Is this making me happy? If it is, good, I need more of that. How do I make sure this doesn't go? How do I make sure this relationship doesn't end? How do I make sure this money stream doesn't stop? How do I, how do I get more of this food I'm eating? Right? If it's good, you need more of it. If it's bad, well, now you got to change it. That's content-based happiness. And paradoxically, it makes us unhappy because well, it just doesn't abide with reality. And you're constantly having to manage your own state in any given moment. But if you let go this idea that you know what kind of experience you should be having at any given moment, think about that for a second. You can make a spiritual practice out of that, that alone for the rest of your life. What makes you so sure that you know what kind of experience you're supposed to be having. Right? I, I laugh about this. I was just, you know, flying to California, did this workshop, and I have a great imagination. So I I had this imagination of like what I'm gonna do on the plane, what the plane ride is gonna be like, and what the workshop's gonna, I'm gonna get up at 6 a.m. every day and meditate, I'm gonna do yoga and then this and that. And, and you know, it was mostly completely untrue. It didn't go that way at all. It went the way it went. And for some reason, I still have this delusion about flying. Like I'm going to have all this time to myself and it's going to be really lovely. And then, it, and then five minutes after I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, this sucks. I want to get off. <laughs> but every time, 
So we think we know what kind of experience we're supposed to be having. So this trip for me did not go how I planned at all. It went the way it went. And some things didn't happen that I thought I wanted to happen. And some things did happen that I didn't expect to happen at all that were quite lovely. I met someone, I was talking to this this woman there, and I told her, I don't know why, I started talking about my dream of the University of What Matters. She has the same dream. She also has a Stanford MBA and is a coach and knows people. She may be one of the critical players. She may be the CEO of the University of What Matters because I don't want to be that. Like I've told my dream of the University of What Matters to hundreds of people. Nobody's ever said, I want to do that too. And I said, I don't know if I can think about it for the next couple of years. And she said, well, I may start without you. That's how bad she wanted it. Right? That was not why I went. That was not part of the experience I thought I should have. Right? So in any given... you Here's another way of looking at it. You cannot be frustrated without the imagination of what kind of experience you think you're supposed to be having. If you're frustrated... I'm looking at you, Kurt, who's nodding and smiling. Anytime you're frustrated, just love yourself for a moment. Okay, I'm frustrated. That's all right. How did I think this was supposed to go? And where is the delusion in that? And just have yourself a laugh at it. You know, I wrote an article about the TSA. It'll come out and I can't remember. I think tomorrow. Because now they're inspecting food. Has anybody experienced this new joy of the TSA? They they will manually search your bags at the the security checkpoint, your carry-ons, for food. And they have to look at it. But they won't tell you to take it out or to assemble it like like you do liquids or your laptops and stuff. And so while it's annoying that they're doing this, why don't they just put up a sign that says, take your food out? And so as the naive person that I am on my way back from San Francisco, having endured it the second time, I said, guys, what, you know, while I'm waiting, why don't you tell us to take the food out? Because it's like they're inspect, usually like they're inspecting like, you know, five or 10% of people's uh, carry-ons. They're looking at like three quarters of them because there's food in there in different places. And so it doubles the amount of time it takes you to get through. And I was like, why don't you just tell, take the food out? And you'll see the dialogue in the blog I wrote. Needless to say, they didn't listen. And so for about five or 10 minutes, I was kind of frustrated that he didn't listen. And then I thought, oh, I expected my experience with the TSA to be one of deep listening <laughs> for the greater common good, right? That was the, what I said, when I chose that, that was the frame I had. Like, okay, I'm going to have the experience of giving the TSA a tip and he'll of course say, you know, that's a great idea. I'll talk to my manager about it, right? Like that was my fantasy in that moment. Talk about being out of reality. Right? (laughs) That's part of my delusion. One of my greatest delusions is a naivete where I project, this is a a corollary to the Dunning-Kruger effect where um, you project your own uh, consciousness or intelligence or whatever knowledge onto other people and assume they have it. That's a tough one in management. Because the, the better you know something, the more likely you are to get yourself into trouble assuming people think the same way. And that can create a lot of frustration. 
or, or worse, get you in serious trouble. Yeah. And so the happiness thing, you see how that's built on the hubris of, well, of course I know what kind of experience I'm supposed to have. I'm supposed to be happy. It's in the constitution, right? Pursuit of happiness. Well, it says the pursuit doesn't say happiness, which is a really great distinction. You don't have a, you don't have a constitutional right to be happy. If you did, I don't know, who would you sue? The government? <laughs> Class action suit. None of us Americans are happy enough. God. Yes, yeah, so you'd sue God, right? So, yeah, but even the pursuit of happiness is problematic. Kurt? Well, I was just going to say the pursuit. I mean, shouldn't it be in here somewhere? I mean, you know, again, we'll have to make the distinction. Yeah, it's in, it'd be in between us and us. But have, have the pursuit of happiness. If, to look for happiness. I think of it in terms of fulfillment. I use it. It's a different word. It's a state of being that is independent of conditions. It's non-conditional. It's non-conditional. If you ever had a moment, we've all had this experience where for, you're just totally happy. Yep. And it's for no reason. Just suddenly you find yourself singing a song or whatever, and then you go, wow, I feel so happy. Why is that? And you look around in your life for why that is. And something just happened, and you go, no, it's not really anything. That. That's always there. It's always there. It's non-conditional. And it just sits there waiting for us to connect with it because it's reality. But it doesn't, it's not available to us when we're binge watching Netflix. Well, it's, and it's usually, well, in my experience, it's usually in the present moment. Mm. Yes, it has to be because there's no such thing as the past or the future. Those, right. are not, those are mental constructs, not aspects of reality. So yeah, so that this is where meditation makes you more available to it because meditation is in part practicing being in the moment. Yeah, it's right here. And here, and here. And then the minute you go, oh, this is great. I want to have it in the next moment. I want to have it tomorrow. Now you lose it. Because you don't get to control it. Happiness, content happiness, we can control. Context happiness, we can only surrender to. We can only abide with. We can only deconstruct our blocks to it. You can't construct a bridge to it. Because it's already there. It's like uh, my Aikido teacher's teacher said to him when he said, I don't know what my problem is tonight. I'm just out of it. And his teacher said, yes, but it is still there. There's nothing to do. It's something to join with. So how do you join with it? By losing your delusions. To make a slanted Guns N' Roses reference. I knew Jamie caught that. Well, that's, and maybe I don't even, I don't know the, the, the uh, story behind that uh, album title, but use your illusion is one was, what does use your illusion mean? Look for it. Find what your illusions are and use them to your own advantage by, by letting go of them. Be curious. When you ask, is this really true? You're challenging an illusion. illusion. So new, Go ahead. New blog post. What Axel Rose taught me about self-awareness. Beautiful. You should write that. <laughs> no, that's all yours, man. Oh man. <laughs> You're a bigger GNR fan than I am. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll I'll spin the record and see what see if I'm moved to it. 
So, um, yeah. And the, the good news and the bad news both is you actually don't have to do it. You can just wait and life will kick your ass eventually and show you. So the, the, the bad news is if you don't, if you're not proactive, then life will kick your ass. Um, the good news is you, you can try to help and look for clues to move things from what you don't know that you don't know into what you just don't know. And then that becomes the path. That becomes the path. As Helen Keller said, life is an adventure or it is nothing. And um, to me, the, the, the fear is, is what contracts us from that adventure. And the excitement is what invites us to let go into it. And in any given moment, like, wow, I wonder what kind of experience I'm going to have now. I'd prefer to have X, Y, and Z experience. Okay, preferences are fine. But just hold them loosely so that when life shows you what really is happening, you're there to receive it and not fighting with it. One of my martial arts teachers, the great Peter Ralston, possibly one of the greatest teachers alive today, but underappreciated, he used to say, your opponent molds his own defeat as you are free to be molded. And if you ever saw the Van Damme movie Bloodsport, that movie was about him. He's the only Westerner to win the uh, international full contact tournament that doesn't happen anymore because too many people were killed. And the, the primary basis of his teaching, he created an art called Cheng Shin. And the primary base of, basis of it is listening and going with and joining. And it's just being so with your opponent that you know them better than they know themselves. Your, part, your opponent molds their own defeat as you are free to be molded. Being free to be molded is a life orientation. It's allowing yourself to receive the guidance of life and then using the power that it gives you in turn. But it starts in life itself. And then when you can feel which way the current is going, then you can paddle in that direction. But you got to stop paddling and pay attention. So everybody have their regular meditation practice happening? Because that's the best way to do this, right? Good. Any last anything? We got a few more minutes. So the awareness, I'm going back on my uh, the fear comment because mm-hmm. I'm noticing people around me, family members and, and a couple people, other people, friends and stuff that there's just no desire for the awareness. Mm-hmm. So they, I mean, they don't know what they don't know, but so how could their fear be involved if they don't even know what they don't know? I'm, I'm, you know, just, the fear is unconscious. You know, Kurt, the other day I was sitting for mother's day with my brother-in-law who's like, let's call her common law wife at this point is a recovering heroin addict who I guess has relapsed in the recent past. And my brother-in-law, the other one, the younger one, is a high-functioning alcoholic who uses the fact that he earns high levels of money to justify his completely negligent behavior toward his wife and kids Mm. to the point where, like, under the rain... He was sitting in my house watching his wife load her kids, their kids, into her van 
And when someone suggested to him that he should probably get up and help her, he said, I, I work, I make money. I, I mean, that's not putting kids in the car. That's not work. And that's, that's what this asshole had to say. The funny thing is that he had enough awareness to before my other brother-in-law showed up with his drug addict girlfriend, the one who's got the other addiction, he's sitting there talking about how he can't believe his brother's still with this girl and she's so selfish and all she does is, you know, take up his money and time and energy and she's dragging him down. And I'm lo- and everybody's looking at this guy in disbelief saying, are you, are you serious? Who are you talking about here? <laughs> So, and it wasn't until my, and then my father-in-law came in and goes, cause we hadn't even noticed he'd been drinking. So the guy got out of work, went to go have some drinks and then showed up late to the mother's day dinner to start, you know, talking all this nonsense about this other girl, at which point it dawns on everybody. He'd been drinking and <laughs> goes, wait a second. So you mean to tell me you came to mother's day dinner late drunk to talk about how she's selfish? <laughs> really? Oh, that's interesting. Somebody said that. My father-in-law said, "Sweet." To which he then, and then what nobody noticed was he was drinking because I had opened some red wine, and he was drinking it out of a red cup to not call attention to himself. Oh, but yeah. as a true alcoholic, he poured so he poured enough of a pour so that he can go ahead and get like a nice shot in without what he thinks anybody's noticing. <laughs> all this while all this is unraveling. So talk about knowing what you don't know and how that. I mean, I'm looking at this guy going, "Fuck." You know, when you got in there, it's deep. It's deep. (laughs) And I think with other people, the single greatest opportunity is uh, accountability. And with someone like that, notices and nudges, you know, that's the the single greatest missed opportunities because we tend to, as a society, corroborate each other's delusions rather than actually, because it's a happiness-based society, right? You call someone on something they're missing, you've threatened their happiness. So if the agreement is no longer, if the what if the cultural agreement were realness, not happiness? What would our day-to-day conversations look like then? It's going to start with you. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com review and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.